there is intrigue among the big names at ESPN. Saudi Arabia goes deeper into tennis. We have team-by-team -team reports on every NFL team from the NFL players. And later, we'll chat with Bloomberg's Jason Kelly about the state of MLB, MLS, and his new show with A-Rod. It's Thursday, February 29th. Happy Leap Day. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. There's all kinds of palace intrigue at ESPN. Joining me now for the first of what will be a weekly segment on sports media is Front Office Sports tuned-in columnist Mike McCarthy. Welcome, Mike. Great to be here, Owen. Let's start with Ryan Clark. He reported he's got a new deal with ESPN. What's the significance of this? First of all, he's going to be making over $2 million a year, which is pretty good for an NFL analyst. Uh, as you know, ESPN has an army of NFL analysts, so that sets a new bar, I think, higher than Mina Kimes' $1.7 million a year. But the real significance uh, of this, Owen, is how he went about the negotiation. He basically played chicken. He let his contract run out and dared ESPN not to re-sign him. Uh, he even created a video and said, it's time to pay the piper. And you know what? They did. So, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of guts. He handled this, you know, with a lot of uh, risk, but it paid off in the end. Now some attention is turning to Dan Orlovsky and what does this mean for him? Is he in? Is he out? Does he get a bigger deal? What, what's the story with Orlovsky? <laughs> well, Orlovsky uh, dropped a very curious tweet. As soon as he re we reported Ryan Clark's $2 million deal, he just tweeted, noted. Now... <laughs> Now, here's a guy who turned down Fox in 2022, and I hear he's coming up soon, maybe next year. So Olaski is going to be uh, looking for $2 million or more. Uh, you know, Ryan Clark top money. Question is, will he get it, or does he jump to another network? Yeah, and I'm sort of curious about the supply and demand factors here. And, it, you know, it's telling that Ryan Clark can can hold out like he did and get his $2 million. Um, because I guess there are enough jobs where if someone, you know, holds out, you can't just go to the next guy. I think it's a real uh, risky strategy still. I mean, Ryan Clark won his first Emmy, you know, good for him. But, you know, uh, NFL analysts at ESPN are a dime a dozen. You know, there's 25 of them. Uh, and anybody who thinks, you know what I mean, they're irreplaceable, I've got two words for them. Trent and Dilfer, uh, former Super Bowl quarterback Trent Dilfer was Ryan Clark a few years ago. You know, he was the plug-and-play guy. You put him on any show, and he's going to be good and do good analysis. And, you know, he got too aggressive in his contract demands, and now he's coaching high school football somewhere. So they got to be careful. Yeah. Um, let's hop over to – so this joint venture between ESPN, Fox, Warner Bros. Discovery, focused on sports um, – you know, it, it made a big splash when we first heard the news, and that splash was was not the the kind you like um, for for the major sports league. So, tell us about that. What are you looking into there? Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of fallout from this deal. Uh, 
you know, so far all they've really did is issue a press release during Super Bowl week, but they haven't said who's going to run it and who's going to control it and what it's going to be called. You know, there's more questions than answers about it. First of all, I, I hear that the leagues hated the idea and they hated the idea because A, they weren't told about it and they want to be told about everything. And B, they think this is going to lead these networks to try to, you know, lowball them on rights fees, which are their lifeblood. Two, the question is now is who's going to run it? Uh, you know, Hulu, which had a three-part ownership structure, you know what I mean, was notoriously difficult to manage and run because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. So that's why this new sports media streaming venture has been nicknamed Sulu. <laughs> All right. Fun. Um, uh, let's let's hop over to another of our friends. Uh, Stephen A., um, you've been talking a lot about how, you know, his his contract is coming up and he might have aspirations beyond first take. I'll tell you, you know, uh, a year or so ago, Owen, he told uh, Sean Hannity that he would like to be considered Jimmy Kimmel's successor in late night, which would make a lot of sense. Right. Uh, ABC and ESPN are sister networks. It would be keep it in the house. It would be all Disney. And I, you know, I filed that away and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, maybe he's just talking through his hat. Then Jimmy Kimmel comes up next week and said his contract could be the last. He could be retiring in 25. Now, all of a sudden, Stephen A to late night is a very real possibility, which we're going to be tracking very closely. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Before we let you go, anything else you're sniffing around on? Well, you know, Caitlin Clark, uh, you know, can't wait to uh, see this Ohio State game. I think Fox is going to, you know, throw everything at it. ISO cams, you name it for what could be your last college game. So that's uh, my big thing. All right. A lot of fun. Mike McCarthy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Owen. NFL players, like most athletes, usually don't publicly complain about their teams, especially if they want to stay on those teams. So it's hard to know what they think about their employers. Or it was before the NFL Players Association began releasing its annual team report cards that allow players to anonymously weigh in on a slew of factors. For instance, the Eagles and Dolphins both got A grades for the food served to the players. The Chiefs, Lions, and Vikings all gave A-pluses to their head coaches. But it's not all high marks. The Chiefs gave an F-minus to their owner, Clark Hunt, which could be related to the Fs the team got for its locker room, nutritionist, and training staff. The Steelers and Cardinals owners and locker rooms also got all Fs, and the Patriots' Robert Kraft only managed a D+. Josh Harris and the new ownership group of the Washington Commanders had their work cut out for them. The team got Fs or F-minuses on their locker room, training room, team staff, team travel, and treatment of families. That said, half the teams gave their owners B-pluses or better, and the Dolphins and Vikings owners got A-pluses. The Dolphins were the only team to have no grades worse than an A-minus. The Chiefs beat them in the wildcard round, but at least the Dolphins seem to prefer where they work. Saudi Arabia is moving deeper into the world of tennis. The country's sovereign wealth fund struck a deal with the ATP Tour, which runs the major men's tournaments on a five-year naming rights deal on the player ranking system. We will also start seeing branding for the public investment fund courtside at major tournaments like the Miami Open, Indian Wells, Madrid, Beijing, and the ATP Finals. Saudi Arabia hosts an ATP event, and last year Rafael Nadal became an ambassador for the Saudi Tennis Federation. The golf world remains embroiled in a power struggle which has turned into fraught negotiations with the PIF. But with tennis, they've found a different route and a more cooperative organization. On the women's side, the WTA is considering a deal that would put the WTA finals in Riyadh, the Saudi capital. 
Legends Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett have urged the WTA to not take the deal due to Saudi Arabia's historic treatment of women, whereas Billie Jean King, perhaps the greatest advocate for women in sports in modern U.S. history, favors engaging with the country and pushing for change. Saudi Arabia reportedly has its eye on hosting the Billie Jean King Cup, which is in Seville this year, but a free agent thereafter. As Formula One preps for its first race of the 2024 season this weekend in Bahrain, one automaker is looking two years into the future. Audi is set to buy 100% of the Sauber team prior to its entry into F1 in 2026. Audi bought a minority stake in Sauber last year with plans to become its power unit supplier. And that's not the only big change coming to F1 in 2026. Starting then, cars will be required to use more electrical power and sustainable fuel. That shift is luring certain manufacturers who want to be able to show off their electric motor capabilities and can use their F1 R&D to boost their consumer vehicles. Ford is also joining the pack at that time as Red Bull's power unit supplier. As for Sauber, they had been stuck in second gear for a long time. The team, which races under the name Alfa Romeo, has not finished in the top half of the grid since 2012. My next guest, Jason Kelly of Bloomberg, is launching a show today with Alex Rodriguez called The Deal. We talked about that, and he's also someone whose takes I enjoy on a bunch of different topics, so we got into the strength of MLB as a business and whether we should believe the hype around MLS, among other topics. That conversation is coming up next. I'm joined now by Jason Kelly, chief correspondent for Bloomberg and host and executive producer of The Deal. Welcome, Jason. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Great to have you back on. So you have a new show uh, on Bloomberg with Alex Rodriguez called The Deal. Uh, What's the deal with The Deal? Uh, So the deal is exactly what it sounds like, which is kind of a novel concept, I feel like, (laughs) sometimes in shows. I I could spend a lot of time talking to you about the difficulties and uh, the challenges and brain damage of choosing a name for anything, um, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Yeah, I'm all about Uh, just naming it what it is. (laughs) Yeah, and what's funny is... uh, a little origin story about this one is you know, we didn't know what to name it, didn't know what to name it. And we, it, Alex and I literally over a text settled on the deal and then realized almost after the fact that it gave us this incredible framework um, through which to have these conversations. And, and that framework is really to talk to our guests, whether they're current or former athletes, team owners, et cetera, executives about a couple of their biggest deals. And, you know, and we use the term, uh, as I'm sure we'll get into pretty loosely, so it doesn't have to be like a specific transaction. You know, uh, one one, uh, example of that is when we talked to Derek Jeter, you know, part of the deal we talked about was the deal that was made for Alex to move to third so that he could play for the Yankees. Yeah, 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 interesting. So the conceit of the show kind of came af- came from the title, sort of. Exactly. I mean, w- we knew from the beginning. I mean, this was a show that was actually born over a lunch that Alex and I had a little over a year ago, like January of last year in Miami, talking about like wanting to do, we got to know each other a little bit, talked about wanting to do something together that, that really leveraged his ambition in business. And we got into talking a lot about you know, his ownership of the T-Wolves and the Lynx and 
team ownership and and media rights and player empowerment, all these different things. And as we started to talk about the, you know, what a show would be, it, it was an almost like Seinfeldian moment of like, well, this is the show. This is the show. <laughs> um, and then the idea was to bring somebody else in, into the conversation. And, and the deal then, as I said, just sort of gave us this nice framework uh, to really sort of guide the conversation because with just about any of the people that we've talked to so far, there's a million different places you can go. Sure. Yeah. And what's your dynamic with A-Rod? How do you kind of play off each other as hosts? You know, I, that's a good question. I, I, you know, how to best answer that? Um, you know, I think part of what I hope works about it is we come we come at it from a similar perspective of like really being curious about these people. And I think one of the things that um, has surprised me about working with him in this capacity, and, and I learned sort of getting to know him when I did a documentary, a short documentary about him a couple of years ago, is like, he asked just a huge amount of questions. He's this like intensely curious person. He's a real sponge. Um, and so I think part of my job, a big part of my job is sort of, putting him in a position where he can ask those questions. Um, and then also being a little bit of the, you know, sort of journalist in the room and and being able to turn the questions sometimes on him. So, you know, in a case of say a Michael Strahan, you know, there's a, there's a lot to explore, which we did. Uh, as it relates to you know these two guys playing in New York, biggest stage, you know, winning a championship. What does that feel like? How important is it to win, not just to play? Um, how important is New York in the potential uh, post-playing career uh, that that each of them put together? Uh, so that's that's part of what what the dynamic is is being able to not just you know, be his partner in asking questions, but then also to turn the mic on him a little bit. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and let's hit some, you know, some, some business topics here, some deals. Uh, so uh, MLB is starting up. It's a sport that it thrives on steadiness. That's its legacy. Um, and, you know, steadiness, I feel like is hard, is harder to sell these days. Uh, people want the spectacle. They want like the one NFL game, the NBA in-season tournament final in Vegas. They, you know, the, everything's big and lights. Uh, and baseball is not that. It's, you know, you throw in a game on a Tuesday afternoon. It's like, ah, baseball's here. Great. Um, and I love that. But I'm wondering if you see MLB as a, a healthy league with some issues, um, you know, media broadcasting, et cetera, um, or a troubled league that is still hanging on to some legacy value. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I I tend toward the the former, you know, that it's a healthy league with some issues in part because of what we saw last season, um, I, you know, those of us who who went to games, I think, really felt a difference. I mean, I'm sure you did, like sitting in, like sitting and watching a game. And and I got to go to a, a number of games. I have the benefit of living in New York, so I went to see the Yankees. I got to see a Dodgers game. Um, I think I saw a couple other games throughout the year, and you know, it, it was a better vibe. You know, like the pacing was good, and and I think that the games were generally more exciting and and candidly shorter. <laughs> I mean, which. Um, I, I know, you know, sounds bratty of me and like not taking in the majesty of the game, but the games were getting boring. They were too long. Um, so 
I think that the positive reaction hopefully led to some positive reinforcement for you know Commissioner Manfred and and the owners and and others to keep experimenting. Um, you know the the slightly more cynical view is then you know when we got to a World Series that was Rangers D backs, we were reminded it's like, oh, but if it's not you know, one of the, you know, kind of marquee teams. And I say that as like, I grew up in Atlanta, I'm a Braves fan. Um, and I would put the Braves in that category, certainly living in New York, I would put the Yankees and the, the Mets in, in that category. Um, we saw the viewership, you know, the viewership was terrible for the World Series. And so I think that would, for all the optimism, like that was a dose of a dose of reality. Right. Yeah, that, that was interesting to see, you know, this nice bounce back in viewership for the regular season and then very much the opposite for for the playoffs. Just to stay on MLB for another moment, the local broadcasting situation is it felt like we were approaching some level of clarity um, that would come from the bankruptcy of Diamond Sports Group. Now Diamond has has risen again like a zombie. And so I, I don't it, it just feels like it's just going to be messy for a long time. I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, we're heading into, or not just heading into, but like we're in the midst of this world where, you know, the streamers are trying to figure things out. You know, I think Netflix is this like thing that everybody's waiting on when it comes to, to live sports, as, as you well know. Um, I think with that, there's still time to come or there's still there's still more chapters to be written or you know more uh innings to be played as it were in in terms of how how media is going to really shake out you know it's interesting you know one of the interviews that that we have on on the deal coming up is with Jerry Cardinal who you know obviously runs Redbird he's an owner of AC Milan but you know maybe lesser known and we get into a lot of this in in the in the show in the episode is you know he was a he was a chief advisor to the Steinbrenners and, you know, created Yes Network. I mean, that was like this massive, you know, thing that he did. And, you know, that's one of the deals that that we get into. And, you know, so between him, between his observations about, you know, creating Yes Network and the power of the Yankees to be, to be able to do that. Um, and then, you know, matching up what he said with a, a later episode or, or another episode that, that we taped with Mark Shapiro from Endeavor, who you know ran programming at ESPN. You know, both of them were, and this is a very like roundabout way to answer your question, but like both of their those conversations reminded me a of like what a different world it is today than it was five, ten, certainly twenty years ago. But also, like how much there is still to still to be resolved, and the I think that the point about baseball, at least in my mind, is baseball needs this to get figured out maybe more than any other of the big four sports, right? In the sense that like NFL is going to be fun, like people are going to watch it. I mean, I think we saw that um, with the Peacock game. Uh, you know, d during the playoffs, uh, you know, but then you turn to, I mean, to go to a completely different sport, you know, then you turn to the fact that, you know, the Caitlin Clark record breaking game is also in Peacock. Like I, I would argue, and I think many people have, it's like, that was a mistake. Like that, that, that's not the right format. You can do that with the NFL, you probably do that with the NBA, can't do it for women's college basketball. 
I'm not sure you, you, that model is going to work for um, for baseball, um, especially for a smaller market team that doesn't have a, a national footprint. MLS has been a really interesting test for that with with Apple TV, um, and you know that that's a whole other conversation, I'm sure. But um, I, I do worry. You know, on the worry side of baseball is you know those those media rights there those those media agreements and the organizations and the institutions and the companies involved, it's just got to get figured out. Yeah. I mean, and I don't really know how they do it because their, their economic model works beautifully. If there are 150 million cable subscribers, it is a big mess if there are 50 million cable subscribers and, and slowly declining. Um, Actually, I wanted to hop over to MLS. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, So yeah, we've got this, very interesting experiment of a growing sport, obviously the most popular sport in the world outside the U.S. Um, and now Apple has has you know is the exclusive home of uh, this league, which is the primary but not the only U.S. soccer league. Do you buy the hype that MS MLS is is going to be the next big league in the U.S. Maybe overtake the NHL at least. So I think there are two things that two huge things that that need to happen. Um, one which is already happening or already scheduled to happen um, <clears throat> and has historically been a, a huge boost is the World Cup. Like the World Cup being here, you know, in, in 26 will inevitably like boost interest in the game that is undeniable like it's just that the excitement will be there people will see the games the you know just the the thrill of it um you know i was really interested to watch as i'm sure you were sort of how it all came down in terms of where the games were going to be and the final being here in new york and not in dallas but dallas having nine games and you know playing in these massive massive um stadiums and i remember i was in college in 94 um and going to games at rfk i was going to school in washington and going to and it really was i mean you've really got excited about it which was great so that's one thing that certainly will help and and i think the lead up will and fifa's investment in the united states will continue i think the other thing that has to happen um is that we need more than one messy now of course there's not more than one messy but we need more younger messy like players to come to the MLS and and make it a more exciting game you know as i'm sure you have it's like i've had the you know opportunity to see some of the world's best teams in europe and elsewhere there's huge viewership for the english premier league as you know in the united states and if you watch a a Liverpool match or a Man U match or Man City or Fulham or Chelsea or whoever. Um, and then later on in the afternoon, you watch an MLS game, like it's not the same. Like it's just not like the, the, the on-field product is not as good. Um, and, you know, despite growing um, viewership, despite the Messi effect, et cetera, it's never going to be a top league in the context of the United States until at least a, a decent number of the world's best players play here in their prime. Um, and that's a real conundrum for the, you talk about ownership, the ownership of these teams, which teams are being valued higher and higher and higher. Um, but I don't think any MLS team is 
making significant money, if any, even the like the best performing, even the ones that are selling out um, stadiums because the gate just isn't at the level it needs to be. The media rights, despite the fact that you know Apple paid what seemed to be a lot of money, the math just doesn't pencil out in terms of justifying the valuations for for the owners. So I, I worry a little bit about um, that happening soon enough. You know, then again, it's been around for you know almost thirty years now, and and it will get that that big boost from the World Cup. Yeah, but even to that point, I feel like. You know, the World Cup comes in 2026, people get excited, they get interested in these players. Well, where are they playing when they're done with the World Cup? They're, they're in England, France, Spain, Italy. Um, a few of them are here. But but yeah, until there's that more center of gravity of the U.S. being one of the options, if you're a top soccer player or even just a very, very good soccer player, you know, top 200 in the world, um, where are you going to play? It's almost certainly in Europe. So yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, this is not a, 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 at all an original thought, but I mean, the, the other challenge is that our, you know, our collective, like best U.S. athletes, this is not their top sport. They, it's maybe not even their, you know, top three sport in terms of what they are going to pursue as they're coming up as as kids. And, and even though there are a tremendous amount of kids playing soccer, the very best of the best athletes, you know, who who go on to be professionals are you know not pursuing soccer as a professional sport i gotta let you go but uh just to finish this off here give us one thing you're kind of looking forward to on the sports landscape you know as we start to move into the spring well i mean you know hope springs eternal i love it when you know spring training is underway and and sort of seeing as we talked about sort of you know baseball hopefully continuing to to find its footing it's always fun when it's an olympic year too i feel like there's there's so much excitement there i'm also keeping a very close eye on the nwsl uh the women's professional soccer league i feel like this could be a real breakout year um you know i look today the opening match for bay fc is versus angel city you know down in LA, tickets are going for $300 a pop. It's a sellout. Um, so I think there's just, there's a, there's a lot on the sporting landscape and especially from the business perspective of like serious money being made. Uh, it's a super exciting time. Yeah. And, and, you know, to the point I just made about it, you're not going to see the most of the best soccer players in the world in the U S on the men's side, you will see them on the women's side. Absolutely. Jason Kelly really enjoyed the chat. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. That's it for today. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts or just tell a friend about the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey,